This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today I am delighted to have Paul Haleko. He is the founder and distiller of Few Spirits located in Illinois. He's the president of the American Craft Spirits Association. Uh, perhaps you've seen him in Money Magazine. You know, as a distiller, he's giving new meaning to the entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, as once, you know, once a whiskey fan still is, he uh, found success in a small batch distillery business. Very happy to have him here. Paul, welcome. Hey, glad to be here, Cal. Excited to be on the show. Let's go back in time, Paul. You know, how did you get started and how did you really develop um, you know, a love for whiskey, you know, you know, was it something that your, your mother and father, was it, was it a drink they enjoyed? Let's start there. You know, I think the history with whiskey and alcohol is always kind of long and story, or at least, you know, hopefully it shouldn't be. Um, you know, neither of my parents really drink, and so it kind of became to me as kind of one of those things that you kind of learn along the way, mm-hmm. um, you know, more or less. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of folks in a lot of folks in the world today enjoy a drink or two. Some folks don't enjoy it quite as much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, good kind of love for beverage alcohol is something I kind of discovered pretty soon after my 21st birthday. Um, yeah, obviously I would, have never, I would have never touched this stuff prior to then. But, uh, um, you know, once I was legal and able to try it, I kind of uh, started to develop a you know, kind of deep passion for it. And it's one of those things that's not just kind of the product, but at least for me there's a little bit of family and a little bit of blood and a little bit of history Mm. Um, before World War, uh, before World War II, my grandfather's family uh, owned what's you know now a major brewery in the Czech Republic. And, you know, after the Nazis invaded, they lost the brewery, um, and you know my grandpa survived the camps, but the rest of the family was wiped out. Mm. And you know after he after he survived the war, he spent the rest of his life trying to get it back and never did. And so when he died, it kind of struck me that if I didn't do something about this kind of family legacy or family history or you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's going to be gone forever. And yeah, you know, so aside from the fact that I've got you know the personal attachment to beverage alcohol, I've also got a little bit more of a, a little bit more blood in the game as well. Yeah, for sure. Very interesting. You know, let's kind of go. Let's also go to the time. The moment you graduated from high school, because I often talk about kind of uh, the role of higher education, whether or not it has it, it really it, it really is a factor and um, in, in entrepreneur success. For the moment you graduated from high school, uh, you know, did you want to go to you know was it was college your choice? Did your parents force it upon you, or did you not go at all? You know, I went to college. I went to college pretty immediately afterwards. I didn't take a gap year or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Um, as far as you know, whether I wanted to or what have you, my parents. You know, you know, I don't think parents can really make you once you turn eighteen. You know, there's nothing they can really do. Mm. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think it's a kind of a natural progression, and I think a lot of times. Uh, 
it can be a good idea to go to college. I think for other people, it might not be the best idea to go to college. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, uh, if you do your college education correctly, it's going to teach you a lot more than facts. So, you know, ideally, college teaches you how to think rather than what to think. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really uh, that's where the value comes in. And what did you study in college, Paul? Uh, I was an engineering major. An uh, engineering major, okay. Um, yeah, so I studied engineering, um, kind of learning how things work, how to make things work, mm -hmm. uh, how that all works, and uh, I also kind of spent a lot, a lot of time uh, doing some extracurricular activities, mm -hmm. um, trying to develop an interest in, you know, kind of understanding the world around. Um, that's the interesting thing about uh, the world is that it's, you know, education comes in many places, um, and it's really easy to become uh, a little bit uh, neck deep in schoolwork uh, when the real education is going to be coming out, you know, out in the real world. Indeed. And uh, at what level did you finish? Did you get a bachelor's, a master's, or did you, or you, or did you uh, drop I out? Had, no, no, I finished. I got a bachelor's in uh, engineering. So I got a bachelor's from uh, uh, it was considered a top-tier engineering school. Um, kind of took a gap year after college, then I went back and got a uh, postgraduate degree. Mm. Uh, I actually got a law degree. Oh, I see. And, 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 com and coming to like one of the, the pinnacle question is, did you feel that your college education has made you a more successful entrepreneur? Has uh, my college education made me more successful? Yes. Uh, for me personally, probably. Um, I guess not, I don't know that there's any particular right or wrong way to go there, but, uh, uh, at least for me having a college education, you know, again, it taught me how to think and, uh, the name of, you know, the name of my school actually carries a pretty decent amount of weight in a lot of circles, which, uh, which has made many other things a little bit easier. And, and what school did you go to? Uh, University of Michigan. Oh, yeah, definitely. Very familiar with that. Yeah, the Wolverines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go blue. That's right. And because I, I, I only ask that because, you know, I, I've, I've heard various uh, opinions from a lot of the people we had on in the past. Some people, uh, they dropped out and, you know, they have multi-million dollar businesses. Some people, uh, they went to college, but they said, you know, it had no effect on their success. And then other people, they say it did, you know. So it's always interesting, and especially for the audience, you know, a lot of people are thinking about going to college. Some people are, are, are also uh, uh, reconsidering whether it's really worth the investment. So it's always good to hear from people like yourself to kind of help uh, the listeners get some contrast, whether to see would it actually be uh, a good investment or not. So, uh, you know, very interesting a very interesting background you know as an engineer then you, you then uh then uh then uh, becoming a lawyer um and then also too uh you had a you, you kind of had a bar prior to your craft distillery let's talk about that sure i've never had a bar but uh i mean i've done a lot of different things running from uh you know my entrepreneurial experience is kind of uh deep and shall we say not uh not filled with huge success stories um but uh uh, before you know, before I started running a distillery, I ran a record label. Uh, I was a professional guitar player. Um, I ran a company that designed and built custom guitar effects pedals. 
what, what was the? And actually, I've done a lot of different things for sure. And actually, uh, and you're right. You know, I, I apologize for my uh, my misunderstanding. Uh, actually, it said okay. that actually it said that you ultimately ditched the bar exam uh, to open a craft distillery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so I, I got that Correct. mixed up. But um, when you finish when you when you finish law school, what was the first business that you started? Was it the guitar business? Was it the record label? Let's uh, talk. Uh, First business I started after law school actually never even got off the ground. Mm. Um, <laughs> literally, uh, I failed at it before I even started. Oh wow! Um, which is which is awesome. I mean, again, failure is the key to success. Absolutely. Um, so I, yeah, I, I wear my failures as a badge of honor. I'm not uh, I'm not ashamed of it at all. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So so that's so, so, that's so, it. Was, the first business I tried starting was a. Uh, a, a brew pub. Okay. Um, that failed. You know, that that failed before it even started, which is wow, okay. you know, the best way to fail because it doesn't even cost you anything. I see. So um, uh, let's go to the next one. <laughs> you know, that's amazing. <laughs> start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time. But you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. After that, I started the record label. Okay. Uh, uh, that crashed and burned in about six months or so. Uh, again, I'm just an absolutely amazing failure. Couldn't, could not have failed harder if I tried. Um, let's, let's talk but about I was that. able to, but I was able to fail pretty fast. Yeah, let's talk about that record label. What were some of the initial challenges that you thought that was paramount to your failure? Oh, challenges to paramount to my failure. Um, dedication is the number. One. I would say my number one challenge is my dedication. I wasn't sufficiently dedicated, and I wasn't sufficiently motivated. Mm. Um, I did not work nearly hard enough at it. Mm -hmm. uh, we put one record out. Uh, the record we put out, I think, is uh, that was a very good record. The music on it was fantastic. The artist that did it was, uh, again, I think, fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, I think the entire uh, the entire source of the failure for the record labels entirely on my shoulders. Mm. Uh, it was underfinanced, underworked, um, and but uh, they, that failure was extremely uh, extremely valuable. Yeah, it's interesting, Paul. You know, at least what I found, especially when it comes to the I like to say the the icon business. You know, the authors, the movie, the actors, the the musicians, uh, the you know the the the, the, uh, the TV show hosts and all those people. Often, what I found is they typically spend. I mean, I'm an author myself, so I can definitely speak to this. They spend a lot of time, spend so much time trying to create a great product. But the problem is, is they don't put enough time into marketing, you know, and yeah. uh, and, and that's and that's why I feel like the reason why a lot of musicians fail. I mean, I, I I'm I'm definitely a big fan of indie music, uh, but oftentimes the reason why a lot of indie musicians are not successful is because they're not putting enough effort in marketing. I mean, they have a great record, but no one really gets. A ch I mean, the world doesn't get a chance to hear it. Because the musicians, maybe they're not hiring uh, people who, to, to, to market them, or maybe they're not uh, investing enough time to market themselves sufficiently. 
and, 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 yeah. and, and that's unfortunate. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, uh, like yourself, uh, who started record labels and it wasn't too long before they failed. They had great records. But uh, you know, you know, one, one key, uh, pr- one key uh, skill they lacked uh, was uh, the marketing. Unfortunately, it's the same thing for authors. You know, a lot. Of, you know, you know there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of you know people say, oh well, you know, you know they'll they'll try to convince you that their book, they'll try to convince you that their book is the best book. Oh, this book is good. I spent a lot of time on it. This is the best book. You know, and you know, the, the book may have great content, but if the if the author or you know cannot find a good publicist if the author cannot market it market it themselves, then uh, it's going to end up uh, be a dead end. So uh, that's unfortunate. Let's talk about what was the next business after that. After that, um, after that, I think I became. I think that's when I was the uh, guitar player. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I uh, started a band. Um, you know, as far as whether that was a failure or a success, it really kind of depends on your definition of success. Mm. Uh, we more than achieved our, the initial goals for the band, but as far as you know, achieving true commercial success with the band, uh, you know, that never happened. Well, um, w- w- was it profitable? Oh God, no. Oh, okay, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the band was started with you know, the band was started with very specific goals. Uh-huh. Uh, we hit those goals. All right. Um, we actually, well, you know, we went way beyond those goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as profit, uh, no, <laughs> that was never profitable in the slightest. Yeah, n- nowadays, um, you know, it's really, I mean, the uh, kind of kind of kind of scope of the entrepreneurial world has changed, especially for people like authors, musicians, uh, filmmakers, these types of people. Uh, before, you know, everything was run by kind of the huge mega corporations, you know, the, the big, the big, the big, mm-hmm. film, the big film corporations, uh, the big book publishers, uh, you know, those, you know, the big uh, record labels. And really, um, you know, there's there's only a select few of artists, and it was much harder to become an artist. But if you did become a, a musician, uh, you was uh, you was more likely to be successful because you didn't have as much as competition. But now it's significantly easier to enter the author space, to enter the musician space, to enter the film space. But at the same time, there's significantly more competition. So then it becomes harder to stand out. So yeah, it's definitely uh, uh definitely interesting times that we live in. You know, uh, you know, obviously now you know you don't have to pay, uh, you know, sixty thousand uh, dollars for a producer to produce your music video. Uh, you can definitely do that for a fraction of the price. So it has became easier, but at the same time, it is significantly more competitive, which makes it harder for musicians, artists, authors, uh, those type of creatives to be able to stand out. Yeah, see, I actually think it's a lot harder uh, than easier. The cost associated may be different, but without the ability to have, or it's a lot harder to have experienced people helping you out because uh, if nobody's buying music, it becomes very challenging for somebody to uh, make money selling music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a lot harder to market yourself uh, because you, you know, it can be much harder to get professional assistance to do that which means that you as a creator are taking time away from creating, uh, which theoretically you're good at, um, in order to do stuff like marketing and sales and all sorts of other stuff that at least theoretically you're not quite as good at, Mm -hmm. or at the very least you don't enjoy doing, which means you don't get good at it. Um, And it kind of, uh, it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling cycle that, uh, you know, you don't get good at things you don't enjoy and you get 
good things that you do enjoy. Um, yeah, I so agree. It's a little bit. I think it's challenging. Yeah, and for me, uh, it, it really gives me a lot of contrast because I play on both sides of the fence. Uh, not only am I an author and, you know, and speaker and use that, you know, but I also am a media guy. So I play both sides of the fence, and it has really taught me a lot on how to really, uh, you know, forge relationships, how to strengthen those relationships, and how to continue uh, to do a better job marketing my brand, uh, you know, seeing, seeing, seeing it from the other side of the fence. So uh, that's, that's definitely helpful. You know, obviously a lot of people, uh, you know, you know don't, don't dive in that or they don't have the opportunity uh, to or the time to play both sides of the fences. But it's definitely uh, something worth to consider, especially uh, if a person uh, really plans on making, I don't know, you know, a musician, an artist, an author, well, you know, whatever type of creative type. If they if they if they really want to make a career out of it, then it's important for them to really understand uh, the mechanics of marketing and PR and stuff for that matter. So, what was the next business after yep. that? Let's talk about that one. Uh, so after that. Uh... I had a small entertainment law practice. Mm, okay. Um, representing so, uh, you know musicians primarily here in Chicago. Okay. Um, you know that was fine, but again, another uh, another financial disaster because uh, uh, again, all on my shoulders, right? It's a solo solo company, so whose fault can be other than yours? Uh-huh. Um, but you know that didn't go over so well. Um, let After me that, I took a. Let, let me ask you this, uh, Paul. I mean, I mean, you went, you went from these business. I mean, there's no, again nothing wrong with failure. I definitely agree with you. You know, failure. If, you know, failure is definitely uh, gives you contrast, teaches you a lot uh, to kind of you know increase your likelihood of having success. But but you know, from all these businesses that I'm hearing you talk about, what was one common thing that you have noticed from each failure? Like perhaps perhaps you know maybe maybe it took you to fourth or fifth business to realize, wow, I, I, I'm making that same mistake over and over again. And that's possibly cost me um, the success of my business. You know, was it like one common thing that you noticed? I think sales and marketing are the number one keys. Yeah. You know, sales cure an awful lot of sicknesses. Mm. Um, and, you know, your ability to get out there and sell whatever it is you're selling, mm-hmm. um, that's, that makes all the difference. You know, the business, you know if, you, uh, if you don't get paid for it, it's not a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an awful lot of people, you know, authors, musicians, mm-hmm. Uh, lots, you know, lots of folks out there who just are not getting paid for what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a hobby, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got my own share. I've got, I've got my own fair share of hobbies. But when you get paid for something, it's a business, and you need to treat it like a business. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, let's go right into uh, your distillery. You know, definitely interested about that. Wonderful episode. You can get it when you become a premium radio subscriber. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your subscription today. What do you get? You get things like early access to the episodes, commercial-free one-hour episodes, mastermind calls with our guests, freebies from our guests, as well as much more. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription for it's another way for you to start reaching your finish line. From 21 years old, at what point did you arrive to say, man, you know what, this, you know, I can definitely make a business out of it. You know, was it, was it a friend that approached you with the idea? Was this something you saw, something you read about? Let's talk about that. Well, I went on for many years without it, right? So, I mean, like we talked about, you know, my first kind of failed business was a group of that never even launched. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that was pretty quickly after. But, you know, yeah, I'd spent a lot of time making beer at home, like a lot of people listening probably have as well. Mm-hmm. Um, watching that and then trying to figure out, you know, how can you, how can I turn this love and passion for alcohol into a business? Mm-hmm. Um, again, business is something you get paid for that <laughs> rather than just that you like to do. Right. <clears throat> so I just kind of, you know, I did a lot of hard work. I mean, it took me uh, about three and a half years of 40 to 50 hour weeks on top of my day job to get the distillery off the ground, uh, wrangling with you know, such problems as uh, financing, uh, sales and marketing. You know, how do you stand aside and how do you stand apart in a uh, business world? Uh, what is your competitive advantage and why is the consumer going to choose to consume my spirit rather than somebody else's? Why is a consumer going to read your book rather than somebody else's? Mm-hmm. Uh, why is a consumer going to listen to your track instead of somebody else's? Mm-hmm. The consumer and the people that are spending their money, um, you know, they have limited amounts of money and they have limited amounts of time. Mm-hmm. So convincing them to spend either one of those with you, uh, you have to give them a compelling reason why they want to. Mm-hmm. And... And mine's better, you know, my, my book is better. Yeah, it may well be, but the consumer doesn't know that until they read it. Indeed, indeed. And, and as a lot of people say that, but absolutely, uh, definitely uh, agree. What, you know, a lot of people are, I mean, especially within the past, I want to say half of decade, uh, even up to, um, you know, you know, within the last decade, many people are hearing about, you know, you know, craft breweries and, but, you know, a lot of people, they hear about it, but they don't really understand what that is. Typically people think of beer, they think of Coors Light, they think of, you know, Miller Light, they think of those type of, you know, huge commercial beers. Uh, same, same thing when it comes to alcohol, they think of the, 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 the Bacardi's and those type of, you know, but what's the difference between like, or like, 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 how would you define a craft brewery? Because a lot of people don't know what that is. Some people, so how would you define that? Yeah, I think the word craft is really heavily, really heavily abused. I don't know if there really is a term for craft, and there, I don't think there is a definition. And the definition for craft is really, at least to me, uh, really tied up in the person who's making the decisions. Mm. And I think a lot, but. A, I think that people, the thing that people get very excited about craft brewing and craft distilling, um, craft coffee and such, I think what people get excited about is that connection. Um, As the world has gotten so much smaller and so much bigger and companies get bigger and people get more distant, um, you know, as, as the world has changed, I think it's become very challenging for a lot of people to relate to the world around them. And, you know, one of the things that they're looking for is that connection Mm. to the stuff that they spend their time with. You know, people want to know about the the musician that recorded this track and people want to know about the author of this book. And they want to know the story behind this great new brewery that they heard of. And they want to know the story Mm -hmm. and they want to have that connection. And I think it's as it's become much more challenging to have those kind of connections with big mega brands, um, it becomes a lot more appealing to have that connection with a smaller brand. Mm. You know, when people when people engage with the products of Few Spirits, you know, we're a small company, man. It's, this is me. It's you know, we've grown it. Yeah, we're bigger now than we were a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a group of 15 people doing what they love. 
you know, we love making moves. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it seems a little silly to say it, but man, we love making booze. Yeah. It's really hard work. It's not glamorous, but God, we love it. And people connect to that. And that's, that's what engages with people more so than, Hey man, this is going to get us really, um, really messed up. Sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Uh, you know, people, uh, people don't connect to that. For sure. People connect to it's a, this is a passion and people feel that and people connect to that. Yeah, indeed. Um, <coughs> in, in a, in a, uh, in a, in a money magazine feature that they did of you, uh, and they was just talking about how, you know, the small batch distilling is such a complex process and a longer timeline and more barriers to yeah. entry. And, you know, it's not like something you can just do in your garage, you know, actually, uh, actually a uh, home stealing is illegal. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and especially something like that, you know, I mean, there's a lot of t- t- type of manufacturing businesses, but even with uh, manufacturing and distillery uh, is very capital intensive. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, you, know, you talked you t- you talk about how you was working a full time job while still trying to do 40 hours on your business. And, uh, you know, I mean, what was it like to uh, acquire the licenses? Because that, must, that must, I mean, from what from what I've heard, I heard that in the, in the alcohol business, getting a license is extremely difficult. What was that like? Well, it's a lot of work. I mean, I think and uh, especially for me, I think it was relatively difficult as well. And, you know, over, you know, when I started this up, there was almost no such thing as craft distilling. Uh, you know, when I start when I started this up, there are maybe fifty or sixty people in the country doing what we do, mm-hmm. uh, and so I you know I can't claim that I invented it or anything. I can't claim that I'm the leader, um, but you know, there's no guides telling you how to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nobody out there to hold your hand mm-hmm. because there's nobody who's really done it before, um, and so it was very challenging to work with multiple levels of government to get all the licenses, uh, ranging from the federal to the state and the local. Uh, and in particular, for few, it was doubly challenging because uh, we're in a dry town. Um, you know, the, the town where we are was founded, as the, you know, it was basically it's the home of prohibition. You know, starting up was challenging, and that's, that's uh, one of the obstacles you have. Indeed, and a lot of people, you know, that's what prevents them from reaching the finish line. They want their own business. They, you know, they, they, you know, they say they really want to do it, but sometimes, you know, starting a business, the challenges can really discourage a person from moving forward. You raise five hundred thousand dollars, a half a million, from your friends, family, doctors, and lawyers. You know, a lot of people. Uh, Paul, you know, they, you know they, they hear about this crowdfunding or they hear about, oh, well, you know, the best way to raise money is from people you already know. You know, what was that like? You know, asking people for like, you know, thousands of dollars, you know, you know sometimes people, they, they, they start feeling uncomfortable. Let's talk about that. I think it's just hard. I mean, again, there's a, I think that's where your preparation comes in handy. I mean, you know, when we started up this, all I really had was, Yes, I had a business plan that I worked really hard on, and I had a firm handshake and a nice smile. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, asking people for money is just part of it. You know, whether or not if you can't do that, how are you going to ask somebody for a sale? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you going to ask somebody to read your book if you can't ask somebody else for money? Yeah. How are you going to ask some? You know, how are you going to ask somebody to do something 
Um, well, the only reason why. So to me, it's part of to me, it's part of it's just preparation. You know, if yeah. you know your stuff and you know what you're doing, you know why you're doing it. Um, it's a lot easier to ask for money because you know you've got you already have all the answers. Mm-hmm. You just don't have the money, right? So, and, and how did you work it out? I mean, you raised you raised a half a million dollars. You know, did you give each person uh, a piece of the company? You know, how you know how, how you know how did you organize that? Yeah, we uh, you know we so I, I went out. We got investors. We gave people equity. Okay. Um, if you don't really if you don't really have a business. Uh, as of yet, you know, no bank is going to give you money. Mm-hmm. And as we come to a close, Paul, if people want to follow you or get in contact with you or learn more about uh, your, um, your your few spirits, how would they do that? Well, you can check us out on the web at fewspirits.com or on Facebook at fewspirits, Instagram and Twitter at fewspirits. Uh, you can email me at info at fewspirits.com and uh, watch us on all your social medias. Great. Paul, thanks for being our guest. Thanks, Callan. You have a great day. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist as seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.